This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. So there's a reason why I started Blood Origins. And that reason is simple. Is that I wanted to convey the truth about hunting. It brings awareness to, to non-hunters that it's, it's more than just killing animals. How do I start it? Brittany. My name. My name. Is, <laughs> Does my hair look okay? It's fantastic. My name is Mike Axelrod. Start again. Yeah, I hated it too. Braxton, <laughs> you said something in the car to me. You said that you were living on borrowed time. Hmm. There's a perception around who hunters are, what we're supposed to be, and a a feminist that works for a non-profit that is a hunter that has only eaten wild game for the last 20 years is likely not the thing that people think about when it comes to a hunter. Cody. Yes. You, um, how much grief did you get about swearing on the last episode? Because you came out the gate dropping an F-bomb and we had to put like the explicit on the Frickin' podcast just because of your dirty mouth. That's, you know, the very first podcast I ever did with you, I said, I said, shit. And then I said, oh, are we going to cuss on here? And you said, no, I'm not. The very next episode, I'm not on. You've got a guest and you're, you're cussing like crazy. Don't give me grief about it, okay? You got this high and mighty with the accent thing. And then all of a sudden, you get excited and start cussing as well. It, don't, don't give me grief about it. I didn't drop I was, an F-bomb, did I? Oh, absolutely. Like within the first 10 seconds, and it was tied to my accent. So. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, that, that, people will understand that with that whatever it is, that South African-Australian blend thing you have going on that nobody understands. You just, I should just stop the podcast now and call it an Australian. <laughs> but we have a, uh, a special guest that's laughing in the background. Uh, so we decided on these roundups that we wanted to have a bit of a guest commentary. Uh, someone who is tied to our Blood Origins family, 
someone that we feel like we can engage and disagree with and she could take it well he or she will be able to take it has a bit of a thick skin so uh jana walla welcome thank you so much for having me i'm honored to be here well you are guest number one and uh just because you're guest number one does not mean that i'm going to give you any slack and you just met cody five minutes ago and i can promise you cody's not going to give you any slack please don't i don't want any slack i pride myself in honestly I have friends from all walks of life. I have a, a plethora of relationships, friendships in my life. Some are on the left, some are on the right. So, and I, I love a good discussion. I love to share my opinion. I also love to be swayed. If you can sway me, great. Like I'm definitely not my way or the highway. My dad might disagree with that, but I'm not a my way or the highway. And so I am always looking for open discussions, and uh you know uh altering points of view and i think i think that's the way we should be unfortunately we're not in this country but that's the way we should be so i'm looking forward to a good conversation i thought john bear told me that it was your way or the highway <laughs> well he might think that dads and boyfriends don't come <laughs> <laughs> that seems legit <laughs> right <laughs> so cody where do you want to start my friend we've got a bunch of there's a lot of international stuff happening this week. Uh, obviously, we have a ton of legislative stuff happening in the U.S. Uh, why don't you Why don't you pick on the list and let's go right? Hey, let's go right at the uh, right at the top of the list. Um, the Markor in Pakistan, um, and I, I choose that because I feel like you can talk about it a little bit more fluently than I can. But I do know. Um, if we were just going to hang a banner of gigantic success stories wrapped around what if we hunted this thing and managed this thing with $100, um, the Markor is probably in the top five success stories in the world. Is that a fair statement? Yeah, if not the success story of the world. Jana, you know what a Markor is? I do. I do. It's actually a member of the goat family. It looks like a big, if you took a bug and you mixed a bug with a big goat, big hairy goat, to me, they look like a big bug. I know that a they're bug. a bug. To me, it looks like a big bug. Like a, uh, they're beautiful creatures. Um, to me, it looks like you took a monster goat off the mountain and mixed it with a bug. It looks like something, I don't even know if I can say this, but we're supposed to be able to say anything we want, right? I would have maybe before the last couple of months said it looks straight out of Dr. Seuss. I don't know if I can say, can I say that now? Of course. <laughs> but it does. It's a crazy looking, beautiful goat, mountain goat uh, with a beautiful big spirals <clears throat> and uh, absolutely beautiful, uh, way out of my budget, but an amazing species. And yeah, it's an incredible success story that uh, probably at the beginning of the story decades ago, it was at its demise because of hunters, and now it's at its success because of hunters. So. Absolutely, and 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 let's be let's be very frank about what has saved it, and it's trophy hunting. Yep. Trophy hunting for this species, specifically a very large mature male, which is an incredible yes goat-like animal. You know, animal the population was nearly uh, extinct. Two hundred and seventy-five animals in the early nineties. Now burgeoning populations in several different ranges entering into the thousands uh, in terms of their numbers. And the sole reason 
is because of a change in value on that animal. That it's not just solely meat for the pot any longer. The permits, and here's an interesting uh, tidbit in the whole COVID situation. Obviously, people couldn't uh, get into Pakistan during COVID. And the permits couldn't get sold for Marco. And so they had to drop the permit prices. And so the permit prices went down to like 65,000. So the, whole, the way the whole system works is obviously the permits get sold to outfitters that then turn around and sell those, those permits to international hunters. Mm-hmm. And those, some of those permits have gone for $200,000, $250,000. Right. Those permits last year were going for 65000 and 75000 because nobody wanted to travel. And they were worried, again, because the whole system has been built on, on hunting, essentially, that, hey, this great conservation success story in India, in Pakistan, sorry, um, has, you know, has really been at the, at the hands of trophy hunting. And who's willing to go to the frickin' highest mountains in Pakistan? Yeah, considered one of the toughest hunts in the world. Toughest hunts in the world. Yeah, yeah. And, Cody? you know, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, the, the animal rights people did, right? They bought all of those, the, the, Humane Society of the United States bought all of those permits because hunters weren't buying them, right? No, no, they spent no, no. Money oh, and, oh and sorry, you're being facetious for a second. I am, I am. It's it that to me. It's their issue, <laughs> right? They, right. they actually did do that in the grizzly bear issue when finally we were going to have a Western grizzly bear hunt, and the antis had people putting in for those tags so you're not that far off yeah exactly i mean i, I get your humor. right no but it, it is that far off in pakistan because they didn't buy a single one of them um and it this these are the these are the things that infuriate me right that that someone would you know the, the response that you get back i spend a lot of my time during the week in conversations with people on social media um as a as a as a proxy for for blood origins that about you know why don't we just give the money and not harvest the animal um and i I throw back a lot of times you know why don't you give the money why 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 don't you pay for the conservation that's come from all of the money that has come through the tags and 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 very high priced right you you get into the same conversation sometimes unfortunately with hunters Right, like this is a rich man's game. We talked about an Arizona elk hunt. Um, there's a conversation happening about the South Dakota bighorn sheep hunts. Um, that that this is a rich man's game, and and I like I can't process it in my brain. Kind of like, why don't you give the money then? If if you're gonna badmouth this person that paid more money than I make in four years, five years, six years. To go and give that money to conservation so that they could do this thing. If you're going to badmouth them, then step up, right? Rob a bank and buy the tag, whatever it takes. I, this stuff infuriates me sometimes that this, this is an animal that was near extinction. They implemented legalized trophy hunting. And now the animal is flourishing. Because of the dollars that people were willing to pay to go do it. Am I jealous? Kind of. I'm not super jealous because honestly, I'm not in good enough shape to go hunt a Marcor right now. I mean, I, I would probably die. And even if I had the money, 
unless they offered a horseback trip, I don't think I would go hunt them right now. I'm, I'm well, there's so many layers though, even beneath that. Yeah, yes, the numbers are back because of hunters. But if they really saw where those dollars go, it's the same thing for African hunting. If they could see that, that let's say $150,000 for the tag, if they could see that part of that money goes to better road systems, better water systems, um, uh, jobs for the locals, um, you know, it, uh, school systems, and whether we're talking Pakistan or Africa, people don't even understand where all that, not, it's not some outfitter over there pocketing that money. That's not how it works. And I just think that we're, we do a bad job. First of all, I'm the first person to say I can't stand the phrase or the term trophy hunting. It is so misused. It's so misunderstood. I have talked to some of my friends who aren't hunters who think trophy hunting means some rich financial dude banker, you know, leaves his desk for a couple of days and goes over and wants a head on his wall. So he pulls a trigger. Like that's what they think trophy hunting is. There's got to be better terminology for what it truly means. But the people don't understand the whole money trail and, and, and it's not just the benefit of that species coming back. It's where that money goes as well. And uh, it's just a story that we don't do a very good job at, of telling, uh, unfortunately. But yeah, in this article, it actually quotes a, a local woman from Pakistan that says, with the advent of, she uses trophy hunting, the advent of trophy hunting and speaking to your point about jobs, which funded the creation of handicraft centers, local women have found the opportunity to earn from home. Whereas the revenues generated have also helped the village conservation committee in installing water pipelines. So we no longer have to trek several miles for a pot of water. Right. And Third the, world problems versus yeah, first exactly. world issues. And I, I have not been to Pakistan. I have been to the Middle East. I've been to Turkey a bunch. I've not hunted there, but I've been in, in third world countries. I've been to Africa. And I, I just think that whole story needs to be told better of what happens to that money. And it's not just goes into someone's pocket. It really does benefit the locals. It's got so many benefits to it, the locals, like in everything you just mentioned, as well as the species. And, and I personally know a lot of hunters from all walks of life. I know people who save up their money just to go on a turkey hunt once a year. And I also know people who spend $400,000 at the Hunt Expo for a tag. And I can honestly say, I don't know one person who is a trophy hunter in in the way that the non-hunting community or the non-educated think of that word think of that phrase trophy hunter oh he just collects heads no one does it just for that they may do it for different reasons they may do it for the adventure for the travel for the all these other reasons that we hunters know of but it is so misunderstood the word trophy hunting you say that to you know, mainstream media uses that phrase a lot, and it's just, it's just not correct. Yeah, it's totally abused. Yeah. All right. Well, I think we've abused that topic uh, for the first one out the gate. Uh, I'll tackle the next one. Uh, it seems to be I'll go in, in order for, for a little bit. Um, obviously, Africa is reopening in terms of hunting. People are able to go there uh, April the 6th, Botswana is opening hunting for the first time in six years. And when I say opening hunting for the first time in six years, you are allowed to hunt in Botswana privately. Public land hunting has been off the ballot, especially elephants. 
And so the elephant quota that was the big controversy last year um, has been put back on. And I think the quota this year is like 298 elephants versus the 272 from last year. Um, and the president of Botswana has been very vocal about this issue, pushing back against the antis and the animal rights activists saying, you have no idea what we're dealing with. Botswana has the largest elephant population in the world. 130,000 elephants occur in Botswana. And 290 odd elephants is less than point, gosh, I think I worked it out, 0.1 or 0.5% of the population. So when these animal activists say, well, these guys are slaughtering elephants, it's nothing to do with population control. These, the hunts have got nothing to do with population control. The hunts have got to do with feeding communities. You've got to think of elephant as a big meat animal. And number two, it's mitigating human wildlife conflict, uh, which is obviously something that we have no comprehension about uh, living in the States. No. Some elephants in your backyard? No elephants, my, no, not Montana elephants that I've seen, but it's, and it's, it's such a perfect animal for the antis to use in their propaganda. Oh, you know, and ele they're amazing creatures. I mean, I have, I have spent t two different trips to Africa around elephants and they're fantastic. I've never hunted them. And in fact, I have no interest in hunting them. I, none. If someone said, I have a free elephant hunt, it's going to be a monster bull, Jana, let's go. I would say, I'll go, but I have no interest. It's just not my thing. But I also don't judge anybody else right. who has an interest in going and killing an elephant. I, I have watched plenty of videos and plenty of hunts of them, and I do know for a fact that every single piece of that elephant does get used. And it can be a weird concept for people to understand, just like even mountain lion hunting and bear hunting, which I'm a huge um, advocate for and love to eat. It's some of my favorite wild game and people don't even know that you eat them. Same thing with elephants that every single thing, even from their intestines to their stomach lining, everything is used. And uh, how would you like to be living in a village over there and work really, really hard to finally plant your crops and in one night have a pack of 10 elephants come through and completely destroy your livelihood and the right. way you have family? What right. are they supposed to do? Cody, what about these, you know, we get a lot of questions from people, not questions, actually, we get lambasted by these guys that say, ah, oh, I can't believe they're killing that innocent animal. And when we ask the question of that individual, are you a hunter? They say, oh, absolutely, I'm a hunter. Yeah, it, it's, uh, it's that whole conundrum of the charismatic megafauna, right? You said just a second ago, Robbie, and I'm, I'm going to disagree that we don't understand a human wildlife conflict. I, I know exactly what you meant. I'm not technically disagreeing with you, but very much so our insurance companies and our agriculture people are mad at white-tailed deer, right? I mean, that's a thing. We hit cars with white-tailed deer, and we hit cars with all animals, but the bulk across the country is white-tailed deer. Um, wheat fields across the Midwest and corn fields are just a night. We understand human wildlife conflict, but for some strange reason, the antis, and like you just said, Robbie, a ton of hunters, a ton of people who say, who claim to hunt here in the United States or hunt in other countries, um, are adamantly opposed to the concept that this eight ton animal could do any actual human wildlife conflict, right? Like, that's the part that. 
we get it with white-tailed deer, but it must be impossible with 130,000 elephants. I mean, what if we had 130,000 elephants in the Midwest in the United States? Our wheat farmers and corn farmers would be pissed off, right? They'd be upset about things. They would be asking us to do some type of human wildlife conflict mitigation. Um, And again, when you go back into the concept of a 290-ish quota on 130,000 elephants, but the number of groups who are going to fight that, if you, if, if you want to help the elephants, go to a country where there's not 130,000 and do some habitat restoration. Do, some, do something that actually affects the population because those 298, there's going to, there'll be 290 some harvested in Botswana this year and there will be more elephants in Botswana next year. But there will be a pile of cash to help those folks who needed help. And again, with the with the the trophy hunting conversation or the some rich financial guy like Gianna said goes over there and shoots it and then they cut the head off and he nails the head on the wall. Um, the greatest there is this phenomenal, we've mentioned this before, this National Geographic, who is not a friend of our cause by any means. Um, but National Geographic has the ultimate response to that. They have this phenomenal three-day time-lapse video of what happens when a trophy hunter shoots an elephant. And the village shows up. And three days later, I'm not, no exaggeration, there's a little puddle left. That's what's left. The, the village utilized every single part of that piece every single piece of that elephant. Um, and I've used it multiple times on social media and had some of our greatest reactions, right? We just had a guy come in one time on Facebook that was like, I can't believe you would want to go to Africa and shoot an elephant and cut its head off and let the rest rot. And we're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Just watch this video. Absolutely, that's not what happens in any way, shape, or form. Huge benefit to the community besides the fact that that's, a, that's an amount of money that also makes a difference in that country, um, all of a sudden we have 16,000, 20,000 pounds of materials that these people utilize. I'm very much a, like, I'm trying to learn how to do things with the bones of the deer that I harvest. I, I try to do everything. I'm embarrassed about how they utilize the animal when a trophy hunter goes to Africa and harvests something because they use every ounce of that animal. And it's true. And we, we, are, we don't do a good enough job of explaining that and getting into that dialogue with people. It can be an uncomfortable conversation uh, with people. I've had it a million times of, how can you, how can you, a lot of it with me is mountain lion and bear, because I live in Montana, but how can you do that? And it's explaining to them about, well, I live in the Bitterroot Valley. Uh, we did it, they did a four-year study. They determined that there's at least 30% too many mountain lions, you know, above the carrying capacity of the land. And the lions kill too many of the calves, the elk, the deer, the fawns, and they just simply need to be managed. And there's a tag system and how it works and they're delicious eating. And after 
you take the time to There's really no way them. mountain lions are delicious. Come on now, Jenna. It's absolutely delicious. It is just, it's like a, a, like pork. It's a white meat, but it is like the sweetest, most sugary tasting pork chop you've ever had. It's delicious. I've had steaks on the grill. I've had it smoked. It, it really truly is. I know it's a weird concept to wrap your brain around, but it's a delicious. And anyone who's tasted mountain lion, it's a delicious wild game. So why is mountain lion so delicious versus like, you don't hear bobcats being delicious. Oh yeah, bobcats, wonderful. They are? Yes. Oh, I remember yes. old Jeremiah made me bobcat jerky once and that was pretty darn good. No, it's delicious meat. It is literally the consistency of a pork chop. It's not like a red steak. It's like the color, it's almost, you know, the other white meat <laughs> and, but it's, sweeter in taste there's no gaminess to it it's delicious bobcat's wonderful as well and it's just wrapping our brains around the fact that it's a big cat like i get it it can be a little weird but um yeah it's just it, it, we we've got to do a better job with the back to the elephants of telling how the people how it works where that money is spent what it's like to be put them in the shoes of the villagers of what it is like to live over there with too many of them and ruining their crops and you know terrorizing their villages, which is, it, it is the case when there's a time to call them and get their numbers down. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's an easy one for the antis again, because they're such amazing creatures and, you know, they feel and they cry and they have emotions and all this stuff. And then all of a sudden it's the Disney, you know, saga, which I've talked about with you before is that the Disney mentality of thinking that animals are like Disney cartoons and it's just not the, the way of the real world. Do we think we've done a terrible job of the explaining the whole wanton waste situation in, in America? Like a lot of people, you know, Cody, we've experienced it a lot, right? We just chop the heads off and leave everything else. Well, I think, I think if we're going to be completely honest about it, we have some wanton waste confusion too. And Jenna, you can pipe in here with with montana regulations there's a lot of states first of all wanton waste is if you harvest an animal in a state um you can't waste the meat unless there are a lot of states where i'm going to i'm going to let slip a thing that we don't want to let slip there are a lot of states where there's not wanton waste laws about predators that's a fact there's there's states where you don't have to eat a coyote. You don't have there's states where you where you can harvest mountain lion and you don't have to eat that mountain lion. Um, but I, I think what we've done a bad job, and I, I hope that's what we're working on at Blood Origins, is communicating that the vast majority of us don't do that. Um, I really I didn't know prior to this that Jana was a avid consumer of mountain lion meat it's a great it's a great time for that for her to bring that up that that it's not what we're about nowhere in the united states is it legal for you to shoot a deer for instance and just go chop its head off and haul its head back to the taxidermist that's nowhere in the United States. That's a violation of any wanton waste law in the United States. Um, there are multiple states where you're required to eat a mountain lion. You're required to not waste the meat on a mountain lion, I, but they're not all like that. There are some exceptions for predators and predator management um, where people haven't 
developed a taste for coyote yet. Um, well, and, and they. Like, I'm going to cut you off there. I'm a huge coyote hunter. Um, my boyfriend and I lived a coyote hunt. There are exceptions to the rule. There can't be, there can't be a solid rule for everything. I love to eat deer. I love to eat antelope and elk and everything else. Um, but if we don't manage our coyotes, what they do is run around and coyotes are prolific. I mean, they'll have litter after litter and that litter, that litter last year is having a litter this year and, and they're in every single state and they run rampant if we don't keep them in check. So the cause for hunting coyotes is different than the cause of hunting a lot. I think it's just specific per species. Um, the cause for hunting coyotes isn't to eat them, it's to manage them so they don't eat what I want to eat. And so it's a different cause, but it's just as important in my opinion. Do you we think that that cause them. needs to apply to all predators? Um, yeah, I really do. Now I think people are missing out and we as hunters as a whole have done a really bad job of you know, sharing our bear recipes and that you can eat mountain lion and that it is a delicious food that you can fill your freezers with too, but it's not the main reason. It's not, I'm craving a mountain lion steak, so I'm going to go out there, let's be honest. But there's a need and it's absolutely necessary piece of the puzzle for wildlife management. If I love to hunt muleys and whitetail and elk, and then I will be a predator hunter and I can be proud of that. You know, and it's, I'm not going to act like I'm hunting them under the guise of I'm filling my freezers with them. That's an added benefit. And I, I stand tall behind being a predator hunter because it's a necessary uh, part of wildlife management. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I, that. Nothing drives me more crazy when I'm on social media and I see deer hunters from the South or from the Midwest who maybe don't have, deer, don't have bear or mountain lion or wolves or whatever. And they're like, oh, I'm a deer hunter, but I would never just shoot something just to shoot it. I see that all the time. And I want to say, well, you need to become a little bit more educated because wherever you live, I, I guarantee you there's coyotes. And I guarantee you that they're, they're being hunted and trapped by people around you. If not hunted and trapped by hunters, then the government is using your dollars from, like you said earlier, the Pittman-Robinson Act um, and the dollars that go to wildlife management most states, DNRs or wildlife divisions have government trappers and government guys who, whether they're shooting them out of the helicopters or they're trapping them or hunting them, they're getting rid of the coyotes for you. It needs to be done. It's necessary. And yeah, we do a really bad job of telling that story, telling that component of it all. But back to the deer thing, I don't know about you guys. I don't know one person who would go shoot a deer and cut the head off, even if it was legal. I don't we as a majority now mind you there are rotten apples in every bunch right in every right. single whether you're talking about the teaching profession or coaches or any kind of occupation there are bad apples in every occupation there's bad poachers those are not hunters those are poachers but there's bad poachers that give us hunters all a bad name and those are the ones who kill animals for fun and don't harvest the meat and don't maybe they didn't purchase the license to do so yeah there's that bad apples in the butt but as a whole hunters i know would never waste meat because they're thrilled to have it in their freezer it's delicious it's do you know how much organic meat costs in the grocery store it's expensive but to be able to go harvest your own organic venison organic elk antelope you know stag in maryland moose um 
that's a beautiful thing. And all the hunters I know and I communicate with, and this is my life, they would never waste that meat, even if it was legal. And I think that's important to point out. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. I played the devil's advocate a little bit on the yeah. one waste <laughs> because I know, I know, uh, now I, I'm a gigantic fan of predator management. Um, and I'm also fully aware of, of you and, and John's both commitment to that as far as making that happen. I'm going to play the devil's advocate again real quick if I can. Because what we, this is what we get this a ton when we're talking about predator management on the internet. And people, I'm going to play the idiot devil's advocate, I guess. But people that's your, talk that's about... That's typical stance, I think. Stop, stop. <laughs> stop stop south africa but that the statement you would not i can't i can't process how many times we get the statement if we just left them alone they would balance it out themselves nature would balance itself out now i'm going to say that and then i have to say for the sake of ever being allowed on this podcast again that was true seven billion less people ago right that that that's the fact so i i would that's that's my next devil's advocate is is you talk about predator control but nature will balance itself out right dot 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 not how it works i mean i have a lot of friends who work for fishing game and who are biologists and they they would tell you themselves as that's not how it works anymore. It doesn't, you know, we, like you said, with our growth of human population, our subdivisions are encroaching on wildlife like crazy. I don't know about you guys, but in Montana and in Utah, um, I spend a lot of time in both states. It is exploding. My subdivision, I live out in the country. I, love up, I live up in the mountains on a hill and I'm looking at five brand new homes that I didn't even have to look at three months ago. Like it's exploding out. I think it's uh, because of the political era that we're in right now, people are escaping the states that they don't like their policies anymore and they're trying to get a piece of nature, a piece of the mountain, whatever. For whatever reason, we are encroaching on wildlife habitat more, every single year, more and more and more and more. And it just doesn't, they need our help. Wildlife needs our help. The habitat needs our help. It, it does not balance itself out. That is a falsehood. And anyone who understands wildlife in this country agrees that it doesn't work that way anymore. And we have to help it. All right. I agree. I just was <laughs> creating a conversation. I love it. I love it. And I'm really hoping that we have people listening to this that maybe aren't the average hunter. You know, maybe the thought of going out and hunting a bear and eating the meat and using the hide and is crazy to them. I hope that's the listeners that we attract. I think Blood Origins has done a beautiful job at rebranding what a hunter looks like and what a hunter feels and why we hunt. And I'm really hoping that you know, this video, as well as all, everything else you guys put out, you're reaching, you're not just reaching the hunters who can sit back and have a beer with you and go, yeah, no, you're reaching the nons, as I call them. And let's face it, we're probably not going to reach many of the antis. They're not going to reach us, right? It used to be thought of so easily as, okay, there was 10% of the population in this country hunts. 10% is anti. And really, it's not that anymore. We're less than 5%. It's scary. But for, for easy sake, let's just say it was like that. We don't 
need to reach the antis because I really believe we probably won't. We need to reach that 80%. We need to reach the people who don't hunt, never grew up with hunting, don't really understand what it's all about. They're not anti. They still love to go out for dinner and cut into that juicy prime rib, right? And so they're not uh, against killing animals for food. They just have never been experiencing it themselves. They've never been introduced to it. That's the people I feel like we need to reach. Whether they become hunters or not isn't as big of a concern to me. It's that they understand the importance of what we do. Well, using that as a way, the 80% that is the non-hunting majority, let's talk a little bit about some of the legislation that is sort of floating in the air, may have finished a little bit. We'll start with the good news. And they come in threes. Mm -hmm. Three bouts of good news this week. Um, we knew that Cody and I talked about this last week. Uh, Humane Society brought forward a petition against the live trapping um, in Colorado. And unbelievably, the uh, commission voted 11 to nothing. 11-0 to say thanks for your petition, but no thanks to putting the live trapping forward. Jana, you know that that's the last piece of trapping that's in Colorado? Everything else is gone. Yeah, I did for now. But uh, yeah, for now, because that's what HSUS does. And it's fascinating because I, m my roommate Laura's friend Ashley is here from California. Ashley's not a hunter, but we've had some amazing conversations in the last few days. She was shocked today when I was going through some headlines with her and talking about my passion and that, that the Humane Society of the United States is the biggest anti-hunting group out there. She was shocked. She, I said, they don't have anything to do with your local Humane Society, which I personally give a check to every single year. I love the Humane Societies. It's where I got my baby boy, Pete. God rest his beautiful little soul. So I love you, Humane Societies. Your local Humane Society does an amazing thing. HSUS, less than 2% of their multi-million dollar budget every year. They just goes to animals. They just instate these ridiculous court cases over and over. So yeah, I, uh, I did know that that's the last of the trapping in Colorado for now, but, uh, yeah, hooray for, uh, hooray for common sense. Yeah. Big win. Nevada, Cody, five to two. There was a petition opposing hound hunting ban. Um, not a seven to nothing, unfortunately, five to two. Uh, they'll probably bring it up next year. Uh, hopefully it's not four to three next year, uh, but a victory. Yeah, still, still a solid win at five to two. You can't hope they're all going to be uh, zeros on the other side, but um, especially when you win the hound hunting one because it's such a, such a uh, incredibly passionate topic. Um, and there's a lot of people that, there's a lot of people that support hunting unless you're chasing that animal with a hound. So a five to two victory is probably, uh, probably the best that we're going to hope for. Let's, mm -hmm. let's work towards a five to two victory again next year when they bring mm -hmm. it up again. Yeah. And then in your home state, Montana, Jana, uh, I don't know right now. I think that it, it passed out a committee, but they are wanting to open up hound hunting for bears and hound hunting training, I believe for, a training season. A training season. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's great news. And it's funny because I don't hunt with hounds. I, I do a mountain lion, but I've never hunted hounds uh, for bear. Uh, I did draw a Utah tag this year. So I'm so excited to film that perspective 
I've hunted bears. I've baited bears. I run my own baits in Idaho. I spot and stalk in Montana. I've hunted all over Canada. Um, but I've never done the hounds thing. And it's, it's, it's bear hunting in and of itself, as well as hound hunting is so misunderstood by the general public. I'm really looking forward to be able to, to tell our story, how much work goes involved, how much the hounds live for it. And again, I think it's important to point out that the reason it is so controversial, and like Cody said, a lot of people have a problem with it, is they don't understand how the hunt really works. And they also don't understand how much the hounds live for it. it they live for it just like a duck dog does and a pheasant dog does. They, they live for it. It's what they're bred for. And uh, it's just such a misunderstood hunt, but it, it's exciting to think that it's coming to Montana. I know some people, some hunters aren't that thrilled about it. And I do, being the devil's advocate a little bit, I understand, I understand because I'm a spot and stalk Montana bear hunter. I don't want some guy dropping his dogs off up in my canyon. I get it. But that's really a selfish perspective. Like, I want to do what's best for wildlife. I believe bears need to be managed. Um, I know houndsmen around here are super excited about the possibility. It's a lot of hard work. I, it, I mean, to run a really good pack of dogs, it's a lot of hard work. It's very expensive maintaining those dogs all year round. But if you're passionate about it and it helps wildlife, I'm for it. Awesome. Why does no one, why does no one push? about bird dogs oh they do they tried they tried was it two years ago sportsman's alliance announced that they were trying to shut down dogs in all forms of, what state i don't remember what state it was but well, they it has wanted to be the, the northeast yeah it was of course connecticut new york okay well so it, it but it's very rare very that anyone rare. pushes against bird dogs yeah but as soon as we put a dog on any other harvestable animal it's a giant. I, I, I don't. I have a hard time with the lack of literalness and common sense when we say it's okay with this animal. It's not okay with this. I, I don't. I need someone to help me cross that divide. Don't you feel though we're living in the era of a lack of common sense lately? There's so many things going on in the world that lack common sense more than ever before lately. So we'll just lump that into that category. Yeah, I think it's a, I think it's a social justice warrior thing. Yes. I think what, what can I post a bunch of stuff on, internet, on the internet and look like I care about it and passionate about, yep. um, even though I don't understand it in any way. Yeah, a lot of, a lot of keyboard cowboys out there donning their first set of chaps. <laughs> I'm talking about common sense. Talking about common sense, it's, uh, should we bring up Senator Bob Duff out of Connecticut again uh, and his six African species uh, ruling? And unfortunately, this did pass out of uh, either committee or the Senate. I can't remember now exactly, but it did move forward, which is one absolutely ridiculous that the state of Connecticut feels like this is something that they have to tackle you don't think they have any problems in the state of Connecticut? I guess they don't have any problems that they want to ban the import of taxidermy coming off of these six iconic African species. And don't they just... also want to ban the possession? So if you've already oh, been yeah. and you I don't know if you'd get grandfathered in. I think you'd get grandfathered in, but holding you know, in the future if you possess anything, yeah, it's ridiculous, right? It's this idea, it's just it's the tradition it's the California mentality of eco colonialism. Yes. Absolutely. 
it, Connecticut it saying, we can, we know how to better manage you, Africa. You guys, you people over there, you don't know what you're doing. We're, we're going to show you. It's so egotistical. It's unbelievable. And it's unbelievable that it's even gotten to where it's already at. Like, it's, it, it, this is our wake-up call, hunters. It really is. It's, it's one of our wake-up calls where we need to go, whoa, we need to band together stronger. We need to get involved. We need to, if it is your state, you need to call your governor, you need to call your legislators and let them know your opinion and how you feel. We need to get involved. Everybody who's got their butts on the bleachers need to get into the game because this Connecticut thing, as well as some of the other bills that are in place right now across this country, this is our eye opener. I think mm -hmm. this is our wake up call. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Cody, yeah, quiet over there. <laughs> That's because I'm trying not to get irate. I, I can't stand the whole, and this comes all the way back. I mean, it, it, goes, it goes for me even deeper than wildlife to, I don't like the concept of we as Americans can tell you what you're doing wrong unless it's a human rights, rights issue. If, it's a hum, if, if, if you're enslaving people, then by all means, that's what I signed up for the United States Marine Corps for. Let's go solve that. But other than enslaving people, um, if you found a way to take a natural resource to make money off of, then what the heck did Bob Duff in Connecticut have to say about that? How are the people of Connecticut not infuriated that this guy isn't solving the fact that they're water's dirty or something there's got to be something wrong in connecticut that's a bigger ordeal than this right bob find a thing that deals with your local people the deal that helps your constituents out and stop impeding on the economic development of african countries that's my message from bob like that last piece of non-common sense is what just passed this past weekend, SB 32 in New Mexico. Uh, we did a talking head that got a little bit of traction um, on that. And it's funny how this idea of trapping, and we, we talked about it, there's a finger-pointing consequence of this. And I watched the commission hearing, and I watched the guy from the Pueblo Nation, the representative of the Pueblo Nation, saying to the entire house, saying, hey, guys, we are exempt from this law, i.e. Native Americans due to cultural and, and heritage and religion, we can trap on our lands, but we can also trap on public lands. That's what you're allowing us to do through this exemption of this law. But you are making it illegal for anyone else to do it. And so now, what if there's a trap that somebody illegally sets on public ground to get rid of a nuisance coyote or a nuisance something? And a companion animal gets caught in it, that, that trap's not going to have a license number. It's not going to have a number. It's not going to have a name. It's not going to have everything that it has right now. And the finger's going to get pointed right at me, at the Pueblo Nation. Right, Cody? Yeah. I actually got, like, I've been muzzled on this one a little bit because it drives me absolutely bananas, the, the, the rationale of this. but. Uh, to me, to me, it's a uh, this is this is a perfect example of a death by a thousand cuts thing. Um, they found a way to 
I just don't understand how it's, and I'm a firm believer that it's a part of their heritage. They should have the right to do it. There's also a whole bunch of people not living on the reservation who it's a part of their heritage. Um, and it, it, uh, it, it's a death by a thousand cuts thing that unfortunately, you know, was not one of our, our three good things that happened in the triple. Um, and we, we lost a big one in New Mexico. There's no doubt about it. Well, it's not done yet. The governor still has to sign it. And you want to bet? You want to, you want to bet a, you want to bet a bottle of bourbon on that one? Gosh, I'm thinking I'm down. I've got three bottles of bourbon on you right now. <laughs> yes, you are actually. And I have a very pessimistic outlook. I hope that for some reason, you know, obviously maybe the, uh, the, the Pueblo nation, the, the native people speaking to the governor will have some effect, but I don't see it. I'll, I'm going to be pessimistic instead of optimistic on this one, unfortunately. What do you think, Jenna? It's sad. It's really sad to me for so many reasons, the heritage, like you talked about, but more so the wildlife. People uh, who made these decisions do not understand the consequences of um, predators on our ungulate population. And the ungulates, whether it's deer or antelope or elk, um, you know, that's a hunter's livelihood. And when you let the predators go unmanaged and I know that they're still saying you can hunt them, but trapping is a huge component. It's just a piece of the puzzle. And with people not being able to do that on public land anymore, it's, it's going to make a huge indent on those deer and antelope fawns and even the elk calves. It's not good. And I don't know um, if they've talked about, like, now that the New Mexico fishing game, is that their responsibility then? I mean, yeah, what happened? Yeah, well, there, there goes our, or New Mexico's, you know, budget or a big part of it that's going to go towards the government trapping, helicoptering, whatever means necessary to, you know, make sure that the coyotes primarily are kept in check when they just took, a, it's the same end goal, right? They need to be, so you just took that away from hunters, from New Mexico citizens that have been trapping for, you know, decades with their family and families. And uh, it's sad. It's really sad to me. But again, it's just, they're chiseling away at our rights, little by little. And again, this let this be our wake up call to stand stronger together, to really think of how we are putting out our messages to people on our own Facebook and Instagram. And it doesn't matter whether you're a hunting industry celeb or your, you know, Joe Schmo who loves to turkey hunt with your kids. It doesn't matter. You have social media. You talk, most people do. I mean, it's really weird nowadays to not have at least Facebook. And you, we all need to do a better job of explaining what hunting means, what the great outdoors does to our family. Kids have never needed hunting and fishing more than right now. I mean, I, I blame our culture our culture's problems, a lot of them right now for a lack of the family and a lack of getting your kids outside and hunting and fishing and trapping are means to do that. And it's just sad, but I, uh, I, I, I don't know. I just hope that it's our wake up call for other states. Yeah. Listening to the commission hearing, it was quite sad when the, the democratic sponsor in the house 
he was getting challenged about, you know, what trapping was what and where could it happen? It could still happen on private land and whatnot. And he responded to one of the uh, House representatives that was pushing back on him. He said, you can still shoot them. You can still shoot them on public land. And the guy was like, no, 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 no. Can I still trap them? Trapping and shooting are very different things. And he was like, no, you are not going to be allowed to trap them any longer. So, yeah, sad, sad uh, situation. Sad. All right, let's do one more. And Jana, since you are our guest, uh, you can pick from the list that I sent you or you can bring your own topic forward and I, uh, challenge I Cody. I don't have it up in front of me, but let's talk about that article that was in, um, what's that? Now I'm going to have a brain freeze because I don't have it up in front of me. The article about um, looking at animals as individuals. Oh, in, anthropomor in the Anthropomorphine like uh, magazine. Yeah, Can we note that Jana picked a topic that I added to the list, please? Can we note that real quick? Um, go ahead. I want you two to discuss, and I will throw my two cents in since I'm just the guest. But this one had my blood boiling. But go ahead. <laughs> go ahead, Mr. I put it on the list. <laughs> I'll tell you exactly what it is. It is a valid attempt by an animal rights extremist to realize hunters do way more good for the overall population of species than any other group of people. So let's quit caring about the overall population of species and let's name wild animals and worry about them on an individual basis so that we can in fact still dig at hunters because i'll be the first hunter and i i i reached my uh 41st year of hunting this year and i'll be the first old. hunter to tell you what's that i didn't know you were that old that's because i that's because i look damn good for my age robbie but i will be the first hunter to tell you that on the individual level the white tail that I shot in Kansas last year, I didn't do much for his ongoing existence. I ended it. Um, so if you choose to deal with animals on individual basis and not the population in general, um, someone has found a new way to attack hunting. Um, and I th I'm a firm believer that it comes from a realization that there is not a group of people on the earth that does more for the overall populations of animals, all of them, to include insects, because we do more for natural habitat than any other group in the world. There's no one that does more for the overall population than hunters. So this is someone that's admitted defeat there and found a new angle to attack. That's my opinion on this article. Tell your listeners, the, like in a paragraph, what the gist of the article was about, so they can understand what Cody's talking about, because it's it's uh it's so, propaganda is what yeah it is. so the article title is and it's in the anthropocene anthropocene magazine the the title of the article says should conservationists think more about individual welfare and the subtitle is it's imperative to protect species and populations but we shouldn't miss the trees for the forest a new paper argues see now this is the beauty about cody and i Cody got fired up about the entire article. I was like, hmm, let me do just a little bit of scratching, go a little deeper. And so this whole article is based on a paper that's based out of science. 
and science is a very is the reputable scientific journal article of the world science and nature sort of battle back and forth and you would hope that a, a, a paper like science would be unbiased in terms of what it would push out. And so it says here, a recent paper in science argues that conservationists should be concerned not only about the persistence of animal species and populations, but about the welfare of individuals. And as, as Cody says, it, it talks to the conservation at a, at a population level, and that's where conservation is. That's where wildlife management is. But there is this disnification. There is this uh, desire for social values to be attributed to individual wildlife. That's why you hear and see individual wildlife being named Cecil the lion. Right. They have all these, these anthropomorphic things being placed on wildlife to give them value, right? These documentaries and a paper just got released by Amy Dickman and Adam Hart in the, in the UK that actually jabbed at the documentaries because they name all of these guys and they, they give them lives and they give them romanticism and they give them emotion. And they give them like they're feeling pain and they're feeling happiness. It's the Disney effect. Yeah, yeah, because it's selling stuff, right? Well, Cody, did you click on the paper? See, this is where it gets super interesting. You click on the paper. Uh, I don't have a million letter or num letters and numbers after my name and phds and doctor no i i'm very i'm very surface guy and i let you dive deep so there's two authors to this paper the first author here's where the cyril is. is it cyril i'm sorry no, it's not cyril christo sorry <laughs> um the first author is with wildlife and habitats division for wwf india new delhi india what do we know about india cody it's probably the mecca of human wildlife conflict on the planet right now the predator population is exploding prey population is exploding makes sense yes we do know that author number two works for the humane league in new york no surprise that then you know the summary talks through, uh, you know, the individual, even the abstract says, the leading conservationists have emphasized that conservation priority is the protection of species and populations, not the welfare of individual non-human animals. The fact that you have to place that adjective to what an animal is, and then it says in parenthetical, hereafter animals. says everything you need to know. Jenna, your, I just, I just, your thoughts? I, I didn't scratch as much as you did, but just reading it. No one me, ever does. No, no, no. But just reading it kind of, you know, I hope you put a link to it so people can see what we're talking about because it's just, um, you can put, you can take any topic. Okay, I was just, I'm, I'm lately into this intermittent fasting thing. Don't ask why, it's, well, that's a whole other podcast. But like, I, I, re I just read this book and the author says, especially with nutrition, if you take a stance on nutrition and you say, oh, I, I think like the keto diet is what everybody should be on. The carnivore diet is what everybody should be on. You can find enough science and enough studies out there to support whatever uh, goal you want to have. Whatever, if you, if you want to prove that the carnivore diet's the way to go. You can find supporting scientific research. You can find supporting scientific research for any angle you want. 
And it just, and I just finished that book the other day. And it were, this article reminded me of that with the topic of do animals on an individual basis, can they have feelings? Do they have emotions? Do they have families they're getting back to at the end of the day? That kind of mentality is, again, the Disney mentality. And I just read through that article and thought, oh, Lord, just one more reason to push their agenda to try to grasp at that 80% we talked about earlier at their emotions and fill them full of fluffy garbage, the Disney effect, so that they can wrap their emotions around their finger and in the same time have them write a check over to our cause and that they, you know, with their whole, there is part of that article, didn't it say something about, um, uh, um, habitat and, and agriculture of, you know, uh, I'm not going to be able to word, I, I'm not going to be able to phrase what I'm talking, what I'm trying to say here in, in agri needing more agriculture to support if there wasn't such thing as, you know, hunting these species and that the population of the species is more important, but let's look at the individuals. But at the same time, they mentioned something in there about uh, that triggered my brain up to needing more agriculture if in fact we did go to a meatless society. And like that that is their goal, right? It's to end hunting. It's to have us so it is illegal and we wouldn't be able to ever kill and end ranching, end hunting, end killing of animals for any purpose. If that is the case, is that if that is their end goal, I don't believe they thought it through because where in the world, like, how does the world then produce our food? Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, to me, that's where my brain rent went after reading this is, okay, if that's, if that's your end goal is that we no longer hunt and we're no longer able to, you know, the world now looks at all creatures as Disney creatures and we're no longer allowed to hunt them, then we're all going to have to become vegetarians. And where's all that going to come from? I think, I mean, I just, you know what I'm saying? That's a, it's it's amazing today i had an uh, uh a dm conversation with did you read that cody that dm conversation 100, i had a hundred percent and i wanted so bad to be the freaking redneck non-scientist that came in on top of that thing and said the you're shot your it also out of science i believe his his data was coming out of science this this guy I'm sorry. I, I got carried away. Go ahead, Robbie. Tell her what the <laughs> DM comment. No, he just, it was, it was, a uh, you know, uh, as you said, you can find pretty much any science to support your position. And so this guy's position was that uh, a vegetarian lifestyle is healthier for the planet and impacts biodiversity less and has, has a science paper that he showed me and wanted me to look up. And it's a very interesting paper. But there's also been science that shows that if you, you can get away from the CAFOs, you can get away from the, the sort of mass production from a you know, chicken, lamb, whatever, um, and it can work and it can work with nature and it can work from a biodiversity perspective. It's been shown and, and there's science to, to show that fact too. Um, right. So, you know, you're absolutely correct. I think it's important for people to remember whether they're on social media, whether they're like my poor mom who lives alone, who's 78, she gets these, she, we've had this, I think I've even had this conversation with you, Robbie, on a podcast or a talk where she gets this cute little brochure in the mail from the World Wildlife Fund. And oh, she got 
whale stickers along with it. So she sends them 10 bucks. Well, then they send her name onto everything else, right? And she gets now, and I'm like, okay, we've had the talk, mom. No more checks to the WWF. But she gets all their propaganda that they send out, which I find fascinating. And I tell her to keep it all for me because I want to see what it looks like. And, you know, it's the let's save the wolf and the little wolf puppies sitting on the edge of their den. Help your mere $25 a month is going to help save the wolf in this country. Like, I think, and it's in I, my point being is we all need to be aware of their propaganda that they're sending out that these in the name of the human HSUS, Humane Society, in the name of the World Wildlife Federation, in the name of whatever it is, I just think we have to be smarter and um, take a look at what those things are. And, and that while it all looks good and shiny and pretty on the outside, those are the groups that don't care as much about wildlife as we hunters do, that certainly don't contribute to wildlife as much as I, we hunters do. And uh, I, I, th I think. I think you summed it up perfectly, Jana, when you said that their goal is to end hunting. Oh, yeah. That's their goal. Their goal has nothing to do with a positive outcome for the wildlife. No. Their goal is to end hunting. It's not a, if, if we, we multiple times at Blood Origins have gone to extreme animal rights people. I mean, people that were calling us names that would embarrass the three of us on social media and said to them, hey, here's the project. Let's move these rhinos in Africa to a refuge where they will never be hunted. And they, none of them, zero of them want to do that because that's, their goal is not to save the rhino. Their goal is to eliminate the hunting of the rhino, whether it's beneficial or detrimental to the overall rhino population. And now we're going to name that rhino Ralph and make it even more spectacular, detrimental, horrible when he's harvested, even though the harvesting of Ralph's old ass saved another 40 rhinos and made the longevity of the population a real thing. Right. That common it's, sense doesn't have any factor. If we could sell one rhino tag, which they did, you know, was that seven years ago. And, and that money was to go towards rap rhino, you know, conservation efforts. Nope. Nope. They don't want a thing to do about it. Like they, they, they wouldn't support that whatsoever. And it's the same in general. I, I don't think that while they're, uh, smoke and mirrors is that they're all about animals it is absolutely not true. They are all about stopping hunting, even if that means certain species being eliminated. That's, that is a small sacrifice to them. So it's, it's sad. I think we all just need to do a little bit better job of um, educating ourselves, me included. I mean, you know, the, there's so many different topics out there in our country that we need to be aware of as far as different game species and bird species and what's best for them and habitat. And, but we need to get involved, just get involved um, to groups like Blood Origins and, and, and other conservation groups. And uh, remember that what we personally can do is that we're all representatives of the hunting community and to better brand what we love to the nons. Well, Jana, we, um, we, I know that you have spoken a lot because you've still got a half glass full of wine. Well, a little bit. <laughs> oh, no, not really. You did a good job there. And uh, Cody's not giving me any crap anymore because I finished my whiskey. <laughs> when we first started, I was drinking tea with 
a honey stick and you could imagine the freaking flack I was getting from him. Oh my God. The, the, the drinks he used to come out with. Well, Jana, we appreciate you being the first guest on the roundup. And uh, we hope that uh, you definitely held your own. Well, and we appreciate your, your, your perspective. I love it. I love this kind of dialogue. I think it's important. I, I, I'm, I'm honored to be invited and I hope I'm, I'll be invited back again. Yeah, we may have to invite John if he, if he stands up to the measure. Talking about John, his podcast will drop tomorrow oh, uh, oh. on predator hunting and predator killing contests. Uh, this week, we have the filmmaker of the wildlife killing contests podcast as well. So we're going to talk to both sides of the equation. Uh, what else, Cody? What are we missing? Support us. We've got to mention, we've got to mention our active project right now that we're working on. So support us. Go ahead. Go ahead. I jumped all over you. No, we've teamed up with uh, the Wyoming Wildlife Federation, who has been working on a Hunters for the Hungry program um, in Wyoming and struggling with the, not struggling, but needed a boost in their, in their funding to get that up and going on a statewide level. So we teamed up with them. Um, huge shout out to Stone Glacier. Um, who has dedicated $10,000 matching for the donations on that. We're trying to raise $35,000 for the Wyoming Wildlife Federation to get their Hunters for the Hungry program going statewide. Um, so go to Blood Origins. To, I think we need a team skull bound. I'm mm. happy to help. I'll tell you what, that's, uh, I'd like to learn more about it. I don't know specifically about Wyoming's plant uh, uh, hunt. Uh, Hunters for the Hungry. I know that other states like Kansas has that. Um, I was traveling and I, I had uh, hunted a whitetail there and was not able to take the meat with me. And uh, they have a great donation program. There's programs here, for example, in the state of Montana, where I'm not sure where that funding comes from. And this might be something that Wyoming, this is kind of similar to that. But if you are unable to uh, process your own or you already got maybe you're a big family of hunters and you have enough meat, you can literally drop off your antelope, elk, deer, whatever it be, maybe at a lot of the participating meat processing plants. You don't have to pay a dime as the hunter. You can just simply drop it off and that will get processed and donated to the local food pantry, which is fantastic. So um, is that kind of what Wyoming is wanting to do? Exactly. And also exactly. the testing. The testing yeah. for yeah, the CWD. The CWD zones in, in the CWD zones in Wyoming is the barrier that the meat has to be tested before it yeah. can transfer hands to someone else. Yep. Um, so that's really what the bulk of the funding is for that and, to, and for the partner uh, processors that are also doing it as well. So yeah, Wyoming Wildlife Federation has got a great program going. Um, you can go to bloodorigins.org, click on the menu, click on projects, you'll see it there. Um, with all the information and and Robbie does a video there kind of explaining it and laying it out and and uh, that's that's it as far as what I want to mention we need we need to get that money raised um, we're off to a great start have some great sponsors great prize packages um, Robbie already said it so you know team Skullbound could get involved and maybe compete yeah, yeah and the the most important thing tied to Stone Glacier is um, the 10K that they're matching is a first come, first served 10K. Yeah, it goes to the teams. Goes to your total. Really? 
Absolutely. Well, I, I will I will have to look into that. And no matter what, I'm happy to share it. So send me all the links I need to do, and I'll be happy to share that with uh, everybody out there. No problems. Uh, yeah, that's it, man. Um, we got a lot happening. Uh, we got a lot of things happening behind the scenes. But uh, yeah, appreciate you listening. Jana, appreciate you. Cody, I don't know if I appreciate you, but some days I do. Right. <laughs> I try. My I guy. try. Thank you very much. Well, that's it for today. I appreciate you listening, as always. Leave a review, share it with your friends, and most importantly, do what's right to convey the truth around hunting.